that kind of behavior and activity is wrong and won't be tolerated. Well, maybe a little. No rush, Sean. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. 92.9 FM WLRI in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. 88.5 FM KAKU in Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM, in Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM, WLPP, and on WPRR Public Radio, Public Reality Radio, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, not to mention AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. And yes, we are back. My thanks to Angie Coiro of indeepradio.com for filling in for us for a few days as we have been on the road uh, in recent days. Greatly appreciated as ever. Coming up on today's program is the uh, is the Trump press. <laughs> this seems like a really dumb question, but is the Trump presidency stressing you out? <laughs> <laughs> If so, I I can't see how it wouldn't, frankly. Uh, But if it is, you are not alone. For the first time in 10 years, the American Psychological Association's annual stress survey finds a noticeable uptick in stress among Americans of all political stripes, by the way, since the election of Donald J. Trump for some odd reason. Uh, Oh, and the use of social media? It's not helping. So uh, is talk radio helping? Don't answer that question, Desi Doyen. Okay. Uh, good that, to see that you, question, by the way. Don't ask that one. Yeah, okay. don't. we won't ask that one. Uh, we will, however, speak to the APA's director of research about the group's new troubling, if I guess not altogether surprising, I suppose, findings uh, shortly today. Uh, speaking of Trump, he is set to address a joint session of Congress tonight. It's not a State of the Union because presidents don't deliver State of the Unions until they've been in office for about a year, but the address will otherwise have all the trappings of a State of the Union. Trump is expected to announce, among other things, uh, his budget request for tens of billions of dollars more spending on what is already by far the globe's largest military force. We don't have money to pay for everything else, but we've got tens of millions, according to to, to Trump, to uh, put into the military, which is already bigger than what the last uh, the, the the next the 13, 13 countries, countries or something combined, after yes. us. Yeah, combined. 
So to pay for those increases to the uh, nation's war machine, Trump is expected to call for deep cuts in domestic programs, particularly, Des, you'll be happy to know, at the Environmental Protection Agency. Oh, goody. Because uh, apparently the U.S. must continue to grow the largest military force in the history of civilization in order to protect the entire world, but the environment and the global climate, apparently they can uh, that can just uh, simply protect itself. What you I, I know it's it's sort yep. of a sort of mind boggling. But there you go. Full coverage of Trump's joint address to uh, to uh, Congress, uh, no doubt, on tomorrow's bra- uh, broadcast. Meanwhile, down in Texas today, the Justice Department has asked a federal district court to dismiss its claim that a Texas photo ID voting restriction was enacted with the intent to discriminate. Of course, uh, for the last six years, we have been covering the details here. The uh, Justice Department has been siding with citizens and civil rights groups fighting Texas's photo ID restriction law, uh, which threatens to keep some 600,000 voters, legally registered voters, from being able to cast their vote. A federal judge at one point found the law to be intentionally discriminatory, against black and Latino voters, and that intentional part is important here. Uh, I'll explain why in a second. But the DOJ has officially now changed its position. The department has decided to drop its claim uh, that Republican state lawmakers intentionally enacted the law to make it harder for minorities to vote. This had been expected, as I said, with the uh, with the change of power in the White House. It's the latest example of Donald Trump's administration halting or reversing legal efforts uh, by his uh, predecessor. Election law expert Rick Hassan says the uh, new motion may have little uh, impact on this case itself because private parties are also challenging the law along with the Department of Justice. Uh, He said, but it is indicative of a pullback of the DOJ in this case and a sign of possible things to come with DOJ either staying out of these types of cases completely or coming in on the side of states that have passed strict voting laws. Um, in a reversal of the uh, previous administration. The Texas law had been found to be racially discriminatory by the Department of Justice uh, under Obama, under the Obama administration, several times back when the Voting Rights Act was fully in place. It was later then found to be discriminatory again by a U.S. district court, which found it unconstitutional and a violation of the still-standing parts of the Voting Rights Act. Later, It was found again uh, to be discriminatory by the most conservative appeals court in the land. But they sent the case back to the lower court to determine if it was intentionally discriminatory. If so, if it was uh, not didn't just have the effect of being discriminatory, but was intentionally made that way, written that way, passed that way by the Republican lawmakers who have been pushing this thing through for years, if so... If it was on purpose, Texas could then be placed back into the preclearance section of the Voting Rights Act, in which case they would have to prove that any new election-related laws and procedures did not have a racially discriminatory effect. In a filing with the court, the federal government noted that the Republican-led Texas legislature is working on a new law to replace the one that was previously found over and over and over again to be discriminatory. The DOJ has asked the court 
uh, had asked the court, uh, says CNN, to uh, postpone a hearing that was scheduled for today. But the court declined to do so. They had asked, saying, hey, we're we're changing hands here. We need a little bit more time to decide how we want to move forward with this case. The court said no. The hearing can move ahead. The hearing to this law that was passed in 2011, and here we are in 2017. And how many times has this law now been in effect during those years? So the case is moving forward with or without the DOJ. But in their new motion... The government argues that it has decided that uh, rather than continue to litigate the serious purpose allegation on an evolving record, in other words, whether this was done on purpose or not, that the DOJ would now withdraw its claim entirely and let the Texas legislature at the, quote, first opportunity enact a new law. There, DOJ says, well, let's give them a do over. Let them try again. They're just being really helpful. That's all. Civil rights groups, as you might expect, uh, have decried the DOJ decision under the uh, new attorney general, Jeff Sessions, the former Alabama senator who has been no friend to voting rights over the years, frankly. Danielle Lang, the deputy director of voting rights at the Campaign Legal Center, which is uh, along with the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and others uh, challenging the Texas law in court, said this signals to voters that they will not be protected under this administration. There have been six years of litigation, no change in the facts, Lang told uh, Talking Points Memo. She said we have already had a nine day trial and presented thousands of pages of documents demonstrating that the picking and choosing of what IDs count, of what IDs would be allowed uh, for use for legally registered voters to be able to cast their legal vote, uh, all of those thousands of pages, uh, all of those uh, days of trial was found that this law was entirely discriminatory and would fall more harshly on minority voters, said Lang. So for the DOJ to come in and drop those claims just because of a change of administration, she says, is outrageous. And that the groups will continue to fight despite the loss of the DOJ's support in this case. Yeah, and and just to be more specific about what she means by the picking and choosing of IDs, remember in Texas, your gun license Mm -hmm. is a valid form of ID for voting, but your university ID... Even if you go to a state, a state university, university like a, the University yeah, of Texas, a state ID, yeah, that is not admissible or usable for a photo ID. So the picking and choosing of those IDs was very specifically targeted to the kind that white people would be more likely, and Republican voters, they presume, would be more likely. And to if vote. it can be uh, shown that this was done with uh, the intent to do exactly that, as was the case in North Carolina, where it was found that the uh, their version of this law was passed. Uh, to target African-American voters with surgical precision. If that's found here, then Texas could find itself under preclearance once again, although the preclearance would be done presumably by Jeff Sessions' Department of Justice. Oh, so so it might not matter anyway, then, if it goes icy. At least under this Department of Justice. So I suspect we will have more on this case. That hearing is being held today. And the case continues to move forward, as you said, with private plaintiffs who will presumably push the racial intent as well. And uh, no doubt we will have uh, more on that case in the days ahead. Uh, In the meantime, another Jewish cemetery was desecrated over the weekend by vandals, this time in Philadelphia. Dozens of headstones were toppled and damaged in an apparent copycat uh, attack to the one that we saw last week. 
uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, um, following a bomb threat to the uh, to the Anti-Defamation League in New York last week. The San Francisco chapter was targeted late yesterday with a similar bomb threat. And we have another round of bomb threats uh, at uh, Jewish community centers this week and uh, schools, uh, Jewish community centers and schools across the uh, across the nation. On Monday, this would be the fifth wave of similar anti-Semitic incidents since January. NBC News is reporting that at least 20 bomb threats to Jewish community centers and day schools uh, in 13 different states are in the latest wave. The uh, Jewish Community Centers Association now says they have had 100 such attacks since the beginning of the year. 100. I should say threats, not attacks, although they are regarded. You know, if you live in these, if your kids go to school here or daycare, uh, daycare or if you're, you know, use the uh, Jewish Community Center and you have to evacuate, it feels like terrorism. Threats this week so far reportedly impacted Jewish day schools in Alabama, Florida, Maryland, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. Jewish community centers in uh, Delaware, Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island uh, received bomb threats as well. So far, no one has been harmed and no bombs have been found, and neither has the perpetrator or perpetrators of these uh, of these threats. White House uh, Press Secretary Sean Spicer was asked on Monday what can or should be done about the growing number of such incidents. Spicer offered no specific plans by the White House or federal agencies in response other than noting that the uh, noting the importance of speaking out about these matters from the bully pulpit of the White House. With respect to some of the activity that we've seen at Jewish cemeteries in particular, um, Look, I think we have to work with law enforcement at a local and state level. Um, I'll leave it to the Department of Justice to comment further on what additional steps can be made. But I think, as been pointed out multiple times, I think one of the things that we can do um, is speak from this podium in particular and other places to make sure that every American understands um, what our values are and that that kind of behavior and activity is wrong and won't be tolerated and the highest levels of government denounce it. So I think it starts at that, and then I think there's a law enforcement component that I would you know, ask you to, to touch base with DOJ. Uh, yeah, so uh, talk to DOJ about it. We, we got no comment other than to say we, we condemn it. But you know what? Take your time doing it. It has taken forever for the White House to say anything about this for either... Sean Spicer or the president, uh, frankly, it, it, it was weeks after this uh, wave of uh, bomb threats to Jewish community centers started before they even acknowledged it. Uh, and it has been a week, a full week uh, since the uh, shootings last week in Olathe, Kansas. Now, this is amazing to me because if this had been reversed in any way, if if this had been uh, a Muslim extremist yelling Allah Akbar and uh, opening fire in a Kansas bar, do you think we would have heard more about this event? Do you think it would be uh, a, you know round the clock banner news on uh, on the cable networks? So it's not just the White House that is to blame here, uh, but also, frankly, uh, cable and media who, you know, cover attacks by uh, Islamic extremists round the clock. But when a white guy does it, eh, no big thing. You're lucky if you even notice it. While we were on the road, I was amazed that this story did not get more coverage. So I want to make sure that you know about it. 
According to police and eyewitness accounts, uh, last Wednesday, a man in Olathe, Kansas, shouted, get out of my country before opening fire and shooting three men. The two men who were initial targets of the attack were of Indian origin. The other was an innocent bystander. Uh, who tried to stop the shooter after he thought uh, that uh, the shooter had emptied his gun. The uh, Adam Purinton, the alleged shooter, is a 51-year-old Navy veteran, a resident of Olathe. He was arrested early last Thursday morning. Reportedly, he told a bartender at an Applebee's in Clinton, Missouri, where he had fled about 70 miles away, that he had killed two Iranian men. And he needed somewhere to hide. He was charged with one count of first-degree murder, two counts of attempted first-degree murder. The two Indian natives had lived and studied and worked in the U.S. for years with a legal federal work visa. They were engineers for the Garmin Company in Olathe, the company which makes GPS systems. They worked for the company's aviation systems engineering team. Alec Matasani and Srinivas Kujipatla both uh, 32 years old, the uh, the, t- the two ma- Indian men uh, who were shot, they had been longtime friends. Matasani survived the attack. Kuchibatla was killed, unfortunately. The third victim, the uh, innocent bystander, uh, Good Samaritan, uh, was Ian Grillet. Back in India, meantime, family members of the men who were shot at this uh, crowded bar during a basketball game said they now feared that the current atmosphere of fear and xenophobia in the U.S. means that the country is no longer a safe place for Indians. One of the fathers exhorted parents not to send their children here anymore. Matasani's father uh, Jaga Mohan Reddy told the Hindu uh, Hindustan Times that in recent months he had begun to ask his son to return home, fearing that he might not be safe in the country's racially charged atmosphere with ugly incidents and hate groups on the rise. He said the situation seems to be pretty bad after Trump took office. Uh, took over as the U.S. president. He said, I appeal to all the parents in India not to send their children to the United States in the present circumstances. Something has changed in the United States, he said. Vinu Madhav, a relative of Kuchibatla, the young man who was fatally shot, said there is a kind of hysteria spreading that is not good because so many of our beloved children live there. Such hatred, he said, is not good. Madhav told the Washington Post in an interview that Kuchibatla's family was in shock and that it was the third such possible hate crime in recent weeks that has affected members of the Telugu-speaking southern Indian community in the United States. Family members explained that the two men had not antagonized the shooter, that he had picked an argument apparently with the men by suggesting they were in the U.S. illegally. They tried to tell him that they had done their master's degree in Kansas in 2006, had been staying there with valid work uh, permits, according to the relatives. Matasani told the New York Times that the shooter asked us what visa we are currently on and whether we are staying here illegally. And then he went on to issue racial slurs uh, against the two men. According to the 9-11 call from the bartender at that Applebee's where uh, the shooter had fled, uh, the bartender said, this guy came into my bar, told me that he had done something really bad. He wouldn't tell me what he did. I finally got him to tell me. He said he shot and killed two Iranian people in Olathe. Iranian. 
Cooch Butler's widow said on Friday that she needs an answer from the government about how it plans to stop this violence. So far, she has received no answer. She said, I have questions in my mind. Do we belong? Do we belong? What are they going to do to stop this hate crime, she asked. Officials from India said they were shocked. They rushed two diplomats uh, to the, uh, from the consulate in Houston to Kansas. On cable news channels in India, oh, it was covered there, if not here. It was covered there. They debated whether the U.S. was now a danger zone for those with brown skin. Is this the new normal? An anchor on NDTV News Channel wondered. An estimated 300,000 Indians work in the U.S. on H-1B uh, high-skilled worker visas. The Trump administration is reportedly considering limiting or changing that program. And that has made H-1B workers fearful. Meantime, 24-year-old Ian Grillet, uh, the good Samaritan here, uh, the hero who was shot in the chest and hand trying to stop the shooting, spoke from the hospital over the weekend on why he did what he did. Initially, I had I'd gotten under the table when he first started firing. thought I heard nine shots, expected his magazine to be empty. Um, so I got up and proceeded to chase him down. Um, try to subdue him so that way the police could come in and do what they needed to do. And uh, I guess I miscounted and with everything going on. And I got behind him and he turned around and fired around at me. I uh, went through my hand and through my chest here. Uh, and then over to the left side of my chest. Uh, barely missed my carotid artery, I guess. Uh, fractured one of my vertebrae in my spine or my neck here and that about people call me a hero and this side and the other it's no it's not like that i was just doing what anyone should have done for another human being it's not it's not about where he's from or his ethnicity we're all humans but one of the gentlemen uh that survived he actually came in here today and it was the greatest thing i i can't even describe it come to find out he's also got uh, his wife is five months pregnant so that was kind of a, a real, something was guiding me to do what I did. And somebody was watching over me and him. I was praying for him all night for both of them. Unfortunately, only one of my prayers were heard, but he'll be with us both from now on forever. So. That was uh, Ian Grillet, the, uh, the hero uh, or who who tried to stop this shooting, uh, got a couple of bullets to thank for it. Boy, talk about American carnage. The phrase that Donald Trump used during his inauguration speech. There's your American carnage right there. We've had a lot of that lately for some reason. And yet with all of that, White House Press Secretary uh, uh, Sean Spicer on Friday said it was absurd, absurd to suggest any connection between Donald Trump's rhetoric and the triple shooting in Kansas. Just absurd. On Sunday, Alec Matasani, the uh, the Indian man who survived the attack, hobbled up on crutches to a podium to speak at a vigil in Olathe about his best friend who died in the attack. He said, I wish it was a dream. He described the casual evening at a local hangout that he and Kuchibatla had frequented for more than two years. They, they, they used to go there after work. They had fun there. He said what happened that night was a senseless crime and 
It took away my best friend, he said, of the man who befriended him in 2008. He said, however, that the event should not reflect on Kansas or the Midwest or even the U.S. as a whole. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if this is not about the U.S. I, I suppose it's not about the U.S. any more than terror carried out by Muslim uh, extremists is, is somehow about Islam as a whole, as this administration and those who support them have been charging for years. When you have a huge segment of the population and elected officials and even the president of the United States continuing to demonize an entire religion, an entire uh, portion of the globe, frankly, an entire religion, an entire people for the act of its, its most extremist radical followers, it, it's difficult to say that this is not a, a, a problem about the U.S. or about Kansas or about the Midwest. When an incident like this happens and the president of the United States does not even address it for nearly a week, which is one of the reasons I wanted to make sure you knew of this story, because it just has not gotten the coverage that it would have had this uh, situation been reversed. Or at least had it been, uh, you know, like I said, uh, a Muslim going in shouting uh, Allah Akbar and shooting uh, three white people. Instead of a white guy shouting, are you in this country illegally and shooting them? People who weren't even, uh, well, who were Indian. So uh, the problem that the president hasn't spoke to it for a week, uh, that's a problem. Uh, I, you know, it's just amazing. Now, the, uh, the, the survivor there, Ian Grillet, uh, says that he hopes that this is brought up during the, uh, during the president's address tonight. He said the simple fact that nothing has been addressed about it at this time. It is saddening to see that. People are emotionally distraught about this entire situation, he said, so it would be nice to have some kind of address about it. The Kansas City Star editorial board yesterday called out Trump's lack of comment on the shooting, said at some point, embarrassingly late begins to verge on something more disquieting. The editorial uh, board called on Trump to, quote, condemn such hateful acts and address the shooting during his speech. The country and the world will be watching, they wrote. He should use the opportunity to thoughtfully and belatedly, they add, address this brazen act of violence, because with each passing day, Trump's silence is even more telling. Uh, and this just in, uh, as I have been talking here, so I'm reading this off my screen, uh, a White House spokesman condemned, finally condemned, the shooting of two Indian men in Kansas that gained international attention over the weekend. Uh, they described uh, telling the spokesman told the reporters that this appears to be an act of racially motivated hatred. Oh, do you think? These are the most direct comments from the White House. Uh, spokesman Sarah Sanders uh, said as as more facts come to light and it begins to look like this was an act of racially motivated hatred. I want to reiterate the president condemns these or any other racially or religiously motivated attacks in the strongest terms. They have no place in our country. Uh, she went on to say, I wouldn't be surprised if this was mentioned in the speech tonight. So there we are a week after this happened, a week after it was immediately reported uh, that this man uh, shouted, get out of my country. A week later, the White House finally has something to say about it, and now it looks like the FBI is also investigating this incident uh, to determine whether it was a hate crime or not. So 
Little wonder Americans are stressed these days. <laughs> We're going to talk about that next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. No kidding. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, Wally Fingston, according to Kaiser Health News, has always been a news junkie. But since President Donald Trump was elected, they write, he's been so anxious about the political tumult that even just having the TV news on in the background at home is unbearable. It has been crippling, said the 35-year-old man from San Mateo, California. Uh, he's a uh, political moderate who has supported both Democratic and Republican candidates in the past. He says, I feel angry, really, really angry, far more angry than I expected to be. He's tried to quell his anxiety, they write. First, he shut down his Facebook page to limit his exposure to the daily soaking of news from Washington. But not knowing the goings on made him anxious, too. He is not alone in his politics-induced anxiety. It is apparently so common that it has been given an unofficial name now, post-election stress disorder. Requests for therapy appointments to Talkspace, an online therapy portal in New York City, tripled immediately following the election and have remained high, according to the company. In particular, Talkspace has been... Seen a, uh, seeing a steady increase in requests from minorities, including Muslim Americans, African Americans, Jews, gays, and lesbians. Nancy Molitor, a uh, psychologist in the Chicago suburb, says that uh, in my 20 years in practice, I have never seen anything like this level of stress. She says the vast majority of her patients, from millennials to those in their 80s, are bringing up politics in their therapy sessions. What we're seeing now after the inauguration is a huge uptick in anxiety. Many of her patients are having trouble sleeping, focusing at work, or fighting more with family members, she said. She says, I have, I have people who have told me in, in, uh, that they're in mourning, that they've lost their libido. I have people saying the anxiety is causing them to be so distracted that they're blowing through stop signs or getting into fender benders. Well, uh, these people, of course, are not alone. Americans left and right are now under so much stress, it is now registering on the American Psychological Association's anxiety meter, according to Bloomberg News. For 10 years, the APA has been running its Stress in America survey, usually finding that stress is caused by three primary factors, money, work, and the economy. 
Still, over the course of the decade, the past decade since they've been uh, running this study, the psychologists found that stress in American life on the whole has been actually decreasing over the past decade. And then came the election, writes Bloomberg. The APA's members were picking up the uh, campaign as a new stressor in their patients. The group added some election-related questions to its annual poll that was conducted in August of last year. So, mind you, that is after Donald Trump uh, and Hillary Clinton were both nominated uh, for their respective parties. Uh, but not. But that was still before the election. The findings... Uh, at that time, at 52 percent, uh, showed that more than half of Americans, both Democrats and Republicans, were anxious about the election. So last month, just before Donald Trump's inauguration, after he had been elected, but before he became president, the APA decided to conduct an additional poll to check on the nation's mental health. And apparently their picture isn't pretty. The results of the January 2017 poll show a statistically significant increase in stress for the first time since the survey was first conducted back in 2007. American stress levels in January were worse than in August in the middle of the angriest and most personal campaign in recent memory when some believe the anxiety would abate after the election. Oh, silly them. Stress is uh, is broader than race or party alone can describe, uh, according to the APA, a full two thirds of respondents to the survey said they are stressed out about the nation's future. And while that includes 76 percent of Democrats, it reflects the feelings of 59 percent of Republicans as well. Joining us to explain all of this, all of these stressors and what, if anything, can be done about it is Dr. Vale Wright. She is the director of research and special projects uh, at the American Psychological Association, which uh, works to increase access to psychological services for the public through healthcare delivery uh, uh, systems. She has a Ph.D. in clinical psychology and legal psychology and is also a member of the APA's Stress in America survey. Aren't we all? Dr. Vale Wright, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, now, in truth, I can't afford a psychologist, so I'm inviting you on. This is my way to get some free therapy, doctor. Uh, I, I saw a lot of stuff uh, that felt very familiar to me uh, while I was reading through your new findings. Uh, but in truth, it actually made me feel a little, little bit better because it made it empirically clear that there are a lot of folks dealing with this uh, very same anxiety right now, it seems. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, a lot of people were maybe feeling uh, election-related stress, thought it might go away, realized that come January that they were still stressed, and maybe feeling that they were alone. Uh, this really does give us some hard data uh, to tell us exactly what's happening with, the, uh, with Americans. So I, I think I know uh, why those who consider themselves Democrats are stressed right now. Uh, wh why does the study and, and, and why do you find uh, that the Republicans are stressed as well about this election? They got, it seems they got what they wanted. Right. So when you ask uh, Americans in our study how they felt about the outcome of the election, Democrats were much more likely to report that the outcome of the election itself was causing them stress compared to a very small group of Republicans. So that's what you would expect. But when I think you ask about what's, um, 
the future of our nation, how do you feel about that? That's a very different question. It's a much more open-ended question, and a lot of things can come into it. Um, you know, immigration, health care, the economy, it really could represent a lot of different things for people. And right now, we're seeing unprecedented speed of changes. And there's a lot of uncertainty. And so that speed of change, coupled with that uncertainty and an unconventional and unpredictable leader, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, that could cause you stress. And, yeah, the uh, the APA's executive director, uh, Catherine Nordahl, said, uh, for many, the transition of power and the speed of change can cause uncertainty, feelings of stress, and those stress uh, and that stress has health conf- consequences. But is it is it simply the transition of power, or is it this particular transition? In other words, uh, you know, we see transitions of power all the time. We had one eight years ago. Did we see a similar spike in these numbers when the transition of power was to uh, uh, was to Obama in that case, or or Bush, et cetera, in the past, or is there something, or is this a a, a unique moment in this uh, in this study? It's a little hard to answer that because this is the first time we've asked about election-related stress, ah. and certainly the first time that we conducted a follow-up survey. So we don't have data from say 2008, 2009, 2012 to compare it to. But I do think that. Um, there is something different about this administration. Like I mentioned, um, Trump in particular was elected in part because he is unconventional. Uh, that was a, a plus for a lot of his supporters. But mm-hmm. with that unconventionalness comes an unpredictability and a breaking of social norms that we're pretty used to. And so when those things happen, um, we don't know what to expect. And it's that not knowing mm-hmm. that causes the stress. And we, so then we seek out more information to try to understand what's going on. Now, your study seems to find stress uh, pretty much everywhere across, you know, a lot of uh, not just uh, uh, political groups, but uh, uh, age groups and so forth. But certain groups were more stressed than others. Which which groups are you finding that are, are most stressed out by all of this, aside from the, the, the political party uh, demographics? So overall, every year in our, in our stress survey for the past 10 years, uh, we've found pretty consistent results that younger adults, particularly millennials, are the most stressed group compared to the other generations. Uh, and as well, uh, women are generally uh, reporting overall stress levels higher than men, and that's been consistent for the last 10 years. I, I, was, I was actually struck um, by the fact that the, the higher the education level, the higher the level of stress, it seems, according to your study. What, was, was that a surprise? And, and how was that explained? Is... Uh, a higher education level always an indicator for more stress? Uh, not generally. I think that finding really pops out, um, although we're not entirely sure. We believe that it's, it's mostly reflective of um, the individuals that were more, like, more likely to vote for Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. So um, this is specific to elect post-election related stress. So we found that higher education and those living in urban areas were more likely to report post-election stress. Mm. So, so we're seeing, so that matches uh, the results of the election. While we're seeing uh, stress across all political parties, we're seeing a little bit more in Democrats, and it seems to uh, attract to those people who, who voted against Donald Trump. That makes sense. Now, if in truth, uh, for most people, uh, Vale, if, if one didn't watch the news or read social media, in truth... 
for most people at least, not much really has changed. So, you know, if you walk out your door and you look around, people are, you know, things are really the same as they were for in, in most respects. But people are really affected by what seems to be this bombardment of news now. So is it is it the, the fear of what could happen or is it what is actually happening now that is so stressful for so many people? It's likely a combination of the two. So some of the things that have happened post-inauguration had had pretty swift uh, and real consequences. The travel ban, as one particular example, um, did have an impact immediately on a, on a lot of individuals, uh, whereas... Um, the uncertainty around the Affordable Care Act, that's stressful for a lot of people because we just don't know how it's going to go, and it seems to shift every single day. Uh, so you've got a news media that is 24-7. You've got social media that is uh, nearly constant for those who use it, where they uh, refresh their feed over and over again. And you get to this information overload where basically um, it's hard to separate out uh, you know, truth from fat, uh, truth from non-truth, uh, and it just increases everybody's anxiety level. Um, it, it may be too early, I, I suspect, to have data in, in this, uh, uh, Doctor Wright. But uh, you know, Trump has barely been in office now for a month. But uh, I'm quite concerned about the effects of this stress. Uh, in, in this case, would we expect a, a spike? You know, as as we move forward, as we Look in the, uh, you know, as we actually get more data on this, uh, would we expect a spike in things like suicide, drug addiction, uh, crime, et cetera, in response uh, to this spike in American anxiety? I agree that it's probably a little too early to tell. Um, you know, for example, we don't have any data on whether or not people are seeking out more traditional uh, health services than they were before, other than, say, the online services that were referenced earlier in your intro. Uh, we do. We are hearing from our members that those who are in therapy are reporting, um, again, higher levels of stress, uh, particularly for certain groups. And we do know that one of the least effective but quite popular way of dealing with stress may be alcohol and drug use. And so, uh, you know, if people are finding ineffective ways to cope with stress, then you would see these negative health outcomes. And that's part of what our message really is to people is to think about how you can actively manage your stress in healthy and effective ways so that you don't end up with these long-term health consequences that uh, we know exist. And I want to talk about, uh, in a moment here, some of the things that people can do to deal with this stress. But I, I want to get your, your sort of take on this as a psychologist. You know, we've been talking... Uh, about the spate of hate crimes in the U.S. of late, the threats against Jewish community centers, the shooting of the uh, the Indian man in, in Kansas last week, mosque burnings and so forth. Um, the White House has said in all of these cases that they have nothing to do with any of it. This is not our fault. It's, it's crazy to tie any of it to us. Uh, and it is true. Uh, that it is not their fault and that they have not called for violence against anybody. But as a psychologist, what are your thoughts on the effect that this rhetoric, uh, Trump's rhetoric against Muslims, his travel ban and so forth, uh, now his description of the media as the enemy of the American people, he called the New York Times evil, I think, yesterday. What effect does that sort of thing have on the psyche of folks? And, and I'm talking about particularly folks who may already be close to, you know, close to the edge as is that that guy in Kansas, you know, who, who said, uh, get out of my country. 
Does that sort of language, does that sort of talk have a direct quantifiable effect on, uh, on people, on their psyche? Words matter. Absolutely, words absolutely matter. Um, the rhetoric that we've seen, not just in the past months, but throughout this campaign, um, it, you know, last year, I, I do believe did start to seep into the psyche. And it ends up normalizing some of these ideas and the ways that we treat other people in an incivil kind of way. Um, so, I, I, you know, obviously right now we don't necessarily have um, direct evidence other than correlational evidence. We mm -hmm. do certainly have seen, I mean, people are tracking that there is an increase in these hate crimes and they can target from when that increase occurred. Uh, and that does happen to coincide with our current political climate. Uh, so we do have that data, but absolutely words matter. Let me get to a few solutions here that may or may not be helpful for people. Uh, there was a, a part two to your study that was released last week, uh, finding, as Bloomberg described it, uh, if you pull out your phone to check Twitter while waiting for the light to change or read emails while brushing your teeth, you may be what the American Psychological Association calls a constant checker, and chances are it's hurting your mental health. Well, great. Uh, <laughs> I, I may be one of those people who do that. Uh, so how, how is that hurting my mental health? Is this just because there's no escape from, uh, from everything that, uh, from this bombardment of, of contacts coming in? Yeah, that's exactly it. So we found that 9 out of 10 Americans say that they feel they're constantly or often checking their email, texts, and social media accounts, uh, and that those who are constantly connected to technology reported higher levels of overall stress. And it is, it's this information overload, it's these constant notifications going off, particularly on our mobile devices, that interfere with our ability to concentrate, that make us very distracted, uh, so that we're not really present in our current experience and as a result, we end up feeling very disconnected from others. And we know that these sorts of things can have uh, both emotional and physical effects on us. Oh, boy, uh, I, I was hoping you'd make me feel better. So far, I'm not feeling that much better, uh, Doctor. The, uh, but you do, uh, the survey uh, itself makes me feel better because I do you know, feel like I'm not alone. But are there specific things, specific rec recommendations? Uh, uh, from the APA uh, that we can do to help ourselves and to help other people uh, uh, dealing with all of this. Absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of positives to technology. It makes us more productive in the workplace. It connects us with people across the globe. But again, it's this excessive use that can have a negative effect. So we encourage people, again, to take really active steps to manage your stress, whether it's related to technology or to anything else. And that can include... Um, Unplugging or taking a break is one strategy for managing your stress, but also doing things uh, like turning off your notifications, making sure that you're really being present in your face-to-face -face interactions, so you know, putting that cell phone away when you're out to dinner with friends. Uh, and we also know that there's some uh, uh, new research coming out about the best ways and most effective ways to use social media. So if you're someone who sort of just passively scrolls through your Facebook or your Twitter, you're more likely to report uh, stress and depression than if you're somebody who actively posts your ideas and your thoughts and the things that matter to you on these different social media uh, applications. It, it, the, uh, I know you work with the, uh, the Help Center at the uh, APA. Uh, people can get more information at apa.org slash help center or they can follow APA Help Center. Uh, I, I want to make sure that uh, on, that's on, on Twitter and uh, I think on Facebook, uh, hashtag StressAPA. 
I, I'm just very, you know, concerned. I want to uh, people to know they're they're not alone here, and there is help. Is there uh, signs that people need to look for? Is there places that people should go uh, if this stress gets uh, more and more, uh, and and for some, I suppose, unbearable? Right. So it's important to remember that not all stress is bad. Stress really serves a purpose. It's our body's way of responding to something that's uh, adverse in our lives and sometimes positive in our lives, right? Most people would say getting married is a positive, uh, but that's also very stressful. And so it includes a combination of both physical and emotional symptoms. Some of the most common physical symptoms are headaches, uh, stomach problems, trouble sleeping. Emotionally, it might be irritability, agitation. And you really want to think about um, staying in touch with your body, paying attention, to these symptoms, and then recognizing when they start to interfere in your life in some particular way. So if it's making it so that you are no longer a very effective employee, you're distracted at work, you're showing up late or not showing up at all, you're having problems uh, following through at home with your family, getting things done, or uh, some of the examples you gave in your intro, like running through the stop sign, those are all pretty obvious ways in which uh, your stress is now interfering in a significant way in your life, and that's when it's really time to start seeking out some help. Dr. Vale Wright, thank you for the diagnosis, by the way. I think you've described me to a T in that, in that last list. Uh, Dr. Vale Wright, you can find her on the Twitters at Dr. Vale Wright. And, of course, you can find more information at apa.org slash help center uh, and on the Twitters at APA Help Center. Uh, Dr. Wright, really appreciate your help here today. Look forward to talking to you in the future, especially as more studies come out uh to help us figure out what we can do about this mess. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, a quick break, and we will continue to uh, to discuss this mess, uh, but some maybe some encouraging news here to close out the show. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Easy for you to say. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, this actually is uh, some some good news uh, that uh, maybe everything will be all right. It looks like the American people are finally starting to get it. They're finally starting to understand that uh, though the Affordable Care Act was not the optimal law, not the one that you or I or progressives would have chosen, uh, to deal with the uh, the healthcare gulf we have in this country, the healthcare coverage gulf, at least. Uh, <laughs> now, finally, after all of these years, a uh, new poll finds uh, today from McClatchy Marist that more than two-thirds of registered voters, more than two-thirds, do not want a complete repeal of Obamacare. 
65 percent hope uh, hope at least part of the Affordable Care Act's current form remains intact, according to the new poll. Sixty five percent. Twenty percent say lawmakers should let health care stand as is. Thirty eight percent want any changes to enable it to do more to do more than the Affordable Care Act currently does. Seven percent hope alterations make it uh, capable of less. But this one, actually, you know, I I look at this as as good news that Americans are finally figuring it out. In truth, it's always been like this. You know, you've always had people, uh, the media had put this into, you know, are you for Obamacare or against Obamacare? A lot of people were against Obamacare because they wanted more coverage. They wanted more from it. They wanted better prices. They wanted single payer. They wanted more coverage, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> but the media then lumped all of them in together with They're the people against, they who it. were hating it for tribal reasons. Right. Uh, so let's see. Thirty-one uh, percent only. Thirty-one percent. So this is the way to put it. Just thirty-one percent want to see a complete repeal of uh, Obama's signature domestic accomplishment. Thirty-one percent. So a majority of the country supports Obamacare in some form. And when you drill down, according to the new uh, uh, McClatchy Marist survey, uh, a lot of these uh, provisions are wildly, wildly popular. Seventy one percent want the provision uh, for uh, to uh, to block uh, denying coverage due to pre-existing conditions. Seventy one percent want that provision enshrined in law. Twenty seven percent hope that it's scrapped. So seventy one to twenty seven It's not even close. Pre-existing condition uh, coverage remains wildly popular. And, by the way, you can't uh, have a provision that requires people with pre-existing coverage, uh, you know, to 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 not be denied unless pretty much unless everybody buys into the coverage. That's how we afford it. Seventy eight percent back a rule letting children stay on their parents health care plans until the age of 26. That's 78 percent, 78 to 19 percent. Wildly popular provision of Obamacare. Seventy one percent want federal subsidies helping lower income people pay for health insurance to remain in place. They want to keep those in place. Seventy one percent against 24 percent who believe the subsidies should be repealed instead. So, you know, for all of these years, Democrats have sort of been running from this uh, thing as if it's a, uh, you know, taboo, as if it's a terrible uh, law and they weren't out there defending it. But these main provisions are wildly popular, wildly popular. Forty five percent think that a mandate requiring Americans to purchase health insurance should remain in place, while 40 percent want it want to get rid of that mandate. So here's the thing. And this is why, you know, people do not apparently still do not understand the law. You can't have all of those things that we just mentioned. Uh, We can't afford all of those things unless everyone buys into insurance plans. Or we could just mandate that the government spends a whole bunch of money for it, which is fine by me. But that means presumably raising taxes from somewhere to pay for it. So the American people love all of the stuff in Obamacare, except for the part that says 
you have to buy in. You have to actually buy into the Affordable Care Act. On Monday, uh, Trump, it's <laughs> amazing, uh, said that he he was surprised. He was uh, surprised at how slowly Republicans were uniting around any strategy to gut this wildly popular program. We have come up with a solution that's really, really. I think very good. Now, I have Uh to tell you, sure, unbelievably complex subject. Nobody knew that health care could be so complicated. Really? Really? Nobody knew? Nobody? I think someone knew. Didn't someone know uh, how complicated health care could be? Now, I have to tell you, it's an unbelievably complex subject. Nobody knew that health care could be so complicated. You know, health care is complicated because our health care system is so complex. I suffer no illusions that this will be an easy process. Once again, it will be hard. Health care is complicated stuff. So it's hard to get people focused on the fact. So that was Barack Obama year after year talking about how complicated this is, how difficult it is. And what do you know? He passed something that has now added, uh, brought health care, the, the crisis in health care coverage in this country down to a histor- an historic low, has added 20, some 20 million people to the health care rolls. And Republicans don't know what to do about it. Now, uh, Trump continues to say he's got a plan. It's almost done. It's almost finished. Uh, but even his uh, health and human secretary, uh, health and human services secretary, Tom Price, uh, has said, has admitted that he doesn't actually know, at least he did during the confirmation hearings, that he doesn't actually know what it is that Trump is talking about. If anything, we'll find out uh, during his uh, joint address to Congress. Or not. You know, who knows? Maybe he'll touch on it. Maybe he won't. I, I think it's uh, it shows the lack of education on Amer- the American people and how the media has not helped them to understand what insurance is, how insurance work, works, how insurance markets work. It's, the, it's a shame that this is kind of the, the loss of civics education and a media dedicated to ed- educating the public that this is where we are. The mainstream corporate media failing the country again. <laughs> Say it ain't so, Desi Doyen. My thanks to Desi, our producer. Uh, to my guest today, Dr. Vale Wright of the American Psychological Association, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or at your favorite podcast site like iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review, make it a little bit easier for everyone else in the world to find the Bradcast as well. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find, follow, share, and harass me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. No stress at all. All right, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.